Mr. Aiden. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm in the middle of destroying my apartment, packing up uh, to drive to Minnesota, of all places. No, no shit. Well, right now the weather is horrible here, so uh, <laughs> hopefully it'll be better by the time you get here. Are you coming back home? Uh, yeah, coming home uh, just for a few weeks. Uh, some, my girlfriend and I are both uh, from Minnesota. Uh, we both have family reunions. Uh, her family does state fair stuff, so uh, okay. she's working the state fair while I am uh, actually heading out to the Arctic, Greenland and Iceland to do some filming. Okay, so we're gonna have to like unwrap all this. You're just <laughs> you're all over the place. But one thing I want, I was just kind of came into my mind is we just had uh, Nevin Pontius, who's a friend of mine. Um, he's an art director now, but he's done like tons of, you know, went to Australia and like motorcycles around Australia. And he's just kind of a, he's a really eccentric dude and very enigmatic. And I love sure. to get, and he's from Minnesota and lives out oh, cool. in, in, uh, in Los Angeles area now. Oh, awesome. And it's like the last, we've had all these Minnesotans that love to explore and get out. And I don't <laughs> know, like if that's what that says about Minnesota, <laughs> you know, or, or Wisconsin, I think he was from Wisconsin actually, but you know, sure. same thing if you're. You know, from L.A., Minnesota and Wisconsin are basically the same thing. I have I have no idea. So um, you're going to Greenland and and Iceland? Yeah, just for a month uh, to do some uh, some filming and photographing. Uh, I do uh, for the past few years. I've been doing some uh, expedition tourism on like uh, small expedition ships. What's expedition Um, tourism? So it's a fancy way of saying like. expedition cruising it's like small cruise ships uh, okay. that these people are paying tens of thousands uh sometimes even hundreds of thousands of dollars to go on uh for you know a few weeks at a time uh and we take them to alaska antarctica um those are the two places i usually work antarctica or alaska um but now also uh the arctic uh, so greenland iceland uh, is where i'm jumping in so okay so what do you do for these people are they they just kind of want they want they the whole are, experience, but the cliff notes, or what's the deal? Kind of. They're 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 being uh, brought by the expedition team on uh, tours. Like, uh, at, we'll we'll get off the boat and uh, go on like zodiac tours, whale watching, go look at glaciers, uh, hikes, bear watching, whatever it may be, wherever we are, what type of wildlife. Um, and I am there. Uh, if I'm in the photographer role, then I'm photographing. If I'm in the video role, then I'm uh, creating a like a twenty minute. Um, kind of dumbed down planet earth video that uh, <laughs> captures the uh the natural uh beauty that we see wildlife landscape but the hard part is um the video has to be done by the end of the voyage uh, generally oh. they're you know two week voyages so i have to do a 20 minute video uh and present it at the end of this Ouch. trip uh, which Ouch. is a lot of editing <laughs> yeah uh, it's a lot of filming during the day coming back uh and then spending a lot of time in front of the computer um but it is awesome to, you know, uh, show a final product to an auditorium of, say, 200 people who are stoked. They are so pumped. Uh, standing ovations, tears running down the eyes. Uh, they are they're just excited. And that's, that's a really cool thing to see. I think that in today's world of digital media, so much of our work gets just kind of like lost in the ether, um, in yeah. the feed, whatever. And, uh, I don't know, it's, it's cool to see people react to something that you've made. Well, so, it's interesting but, that, you know, we all look at something, you know, it's, does anybody even build websites anymore for computers? <laughs> like everybody's just looking at something on their phone. And if I yeah. really, really care about something, I'll go on YouTube on my, 
you know, TV and watch it from my couch. Sure. But generally, everything is consumed on a phone. So seeing something on a screen that 200 people can see, yeah. that's like a pretty wild experience for everyone being, that's being, there. Totally. And, and then being there with them while they're experiencing that is is cool. That's yeah, very voyeuristic, too. You know, it's, yeah, it's totally. just see, it's, see it's the not, reaction. Honestly, the, the, the product is not something that I uh, – it's not my favorite work in the world. Um, it's it's cool. Uh, but um, I – I take the jobs as access to photograph for myself. Uh, well, sure. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, access to places like Antarctica is hard to come by. So, um, so I've heard uh, from some of the people that I talked to, it's a long waiting list or not at all. Right. Exactly. Okay. So obviously you've been to Antarctica too. So I, okay. We're going to try and figure out where to start. Let's, let's try and figure out how to, how a guy from Minnesota ends up going sure. to Antarctica. You know, what, yeah. what is, what does that path look like? Cause I know you grew up here and then you went to school in Montana, right? Yep. I went to school in Montana. I, I like to say that I traded mosquitoes for mountains. Um, it's a good trade. It's a good trade. Yeah. <laughs> went out to Montana, uh, and, um, studied film and photography and, uh, fell in love with the outdoors and, um, storytelling and, uh, kind of just adventuring, you know, being out. Um, so let me ask how, how old are you? If that, I'm 33. So you're 33. So when you were in high school, digital was still kind of like fledgling. So what were you yeah, shooting? What were yeah. you shooting with? And and how did you become someone that wanted to do photography and the film in the first place? Sure, sure. I um I remember in in grade school uh, in middle school I was um maybe it was high school I don't know I was making movies with my neighborhood friends you know the kids I grew up with my my oldest friends we would just goof around and make movies and I was like man this is so much fun uh, and I. I think that when you're that age, you're searching for something to latch on to, right? You know, everyone's asking like, what are you going to do when you go to college? What are you, what are you interested in? And I was, I was looking for something to latch on to. And, and, and I really, I enjoyed that. And so I was like, you know, I want to, I want to make movies. So I, um, was there any pressure there to not do that? Um, no, not at all. What, 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 not make movies or not like find something? Not, well, finding something i mean hopefully we have family that wants us to find something but sure. just in terms yeah. of what you thought your career path would be was that something that was accept, acceptable to the family totally yeah for, for me yeah, it was they, like they don't were, don't do that you, you don't I do am, art i'm very fortunate to have a very supportive family um, they have uh, i you know, between living on the road for seven years and traveling all over the place and doing all this stuff taking risks both with my physical safety or with my career or whatever it may be. My parents have always, uh, I mean, maybe been skeptical, but they've never, um, they've, they've always tried to, um, give me the space to explore what those options feel like to me, which is so cool. Um, and I'm very lucky for that. So, um, yeah. What, what, where do you think that came from? Sorry to dig in, dig on that, but where do you think that emotion came from you know i'm a dad now so i'm always like exploring this. Sure. why do you think they were that way versus being like oh college doctor <laughs> lawyer you know yeah. accountant whatever just something I safe think, like just why didn't they push you into something safe what was it i think my dad had really strict parents um my dad's parents were uh ukrainian and swiss uh first he's a first generation immigrant uh and they were uh strict you know um got to do this, got to do this, very religious, uh, go to school, you know, try your hardest, all this stuff, which is good. Um, but I think that, um, by having grown up being pushed so much, he really didn't want to 
have such a forceful hand. Um, obviously he wants to guide, uh, and Mm -hmm. help me be the best person I can be and my siblings as well. But I think that, I think a lot of it came from that. And and similarly with my, with my mom, my, my grandpa, my mom's side is a a pastor uh, and she grew up, but, but in a very different way, he was, he was like a, you know, hippie protesting in the seventies. Uh, I think he, he, he performed the force, sorry, he performed the first gay marriage in the United States, uh, in, um, uh, Minnesota. Uh, so he's, you know, very progressive, but still, I think that, uh, they both had parents that pushed them and they didn't, they didn't really want to be that type of way. Uh, right. So they let us, you know, kind of feel the world out for ourselves. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I was awesome. raised by my, my grandfather and he was extremely strict with my father sure. and, okay. and, but he was really lenient with me and I, and I could never figure out why. And so, you know, as you know, I did an interview with him on film or on a camera rather, and mm-hmm. talked to him. And I said, what, you know, what do you regret? You know, what did you, what would you do over again? And it's always a sure. question that you wonder how people feel when they're 80, 90 years old. Like, what right. would you, yeah, you know, cause it's just a perspective that we don't have after yeah. 90 years of life. What would you have done differently? Right. And cause even at 40, I have things that I would have done differently. So I can only imagine 90. And he's like, I just wish I would have taken more risk and been more free. Yeah. You know? And so I think like maybe when he was younger raising my dad, he was really strict, but as he got to be like 90, he's like, oh, you know, later on in life, obviously he wasn't 90 when he raised me, he was like 60, 70, but, you know, you kind of get that mentality of wanting freedom and risk, and maybe that's, maybe he encouraged me to do that. Anyway, so so yeah, cool. film school, like, how did you get into film and shooting and stuff like that besides? I just, it was honestly just uh, playing around with cameras. I, I think I, I was always a little bit of a gearhead, uh, not in the motor sense, but in the uh, like photo gear, cameras, stuff like that. I always, I always wanted a cool camera. I always enjoyed reading about like technical specs, all that stuff. That has actually completely changed. I'm no longer nearly as into that, but earlier I, I was, uh, and um, I wanted to make, uh, I wanted to, I don't know. Um, share stuff with people. I loved, I loved showing in a similar way as to uh, showing stuff on uh, the expedition ships. I, I really enjoyed showing movies to so stuff that we made with our families, our friends or whatever. And um, I enjoyed that. And uh, I actually uh, had a bad snowboarding accident uh, in high school. I broke my neck uh, and um, it was right in the middle of my junior year of high school. And I kind of just like, uh, kept doing life. You know, I didn't really process that injury very much. Uh, I, um, kind of, I went to my, my junior prom in a neck brace and, uh, you know, didn't really miss much school. And so my mom, uh, encouraged me to take a year after high school before college and do some traveling. Um, so I went down to South America for seven months, loaded up a backpack, uh, and went and did some solo traveling. Uh, and you have and kind I, of an affinity from South America because you're, did you do some stuff as a child there too? Yes. So um, I went to South America because it was familiar to me. Uh, growing up, uh, I lived in Ecuador with my parents and my little brother uh, for a year, year and a half. Um, they uh, were not religious, not not missionaries or anything like that. I think my parents just wanted to uh, give me and my little brother an opportunity to spend some time outside the United States growing up, uh, learn a different language. My parents are pretty adventurous themselves. I think they also were wanting to, you know, uh, get out and experience the world a little bit. So I, I had that, um, experience built in. I, I speak Spanish because of that. I have Ecuadorian friends because of that. Uh, and, uh, Ecuador and some of the surrounding countries have become familiar over a long period of time. So the, the, 
idea of going down to South America on my own felt like a natural next step. Um, especially, you know, at, when you're out of high school, you're, whether you go to college or, uh, or don't go to school or go to trade school or whatever, you're taking those first steps on your own. Uh, and right. this felt like, um, it felt, it was scary, you know, but it felt, uh, can't like be as right scary point. as it is for people now with social media telling everybody, everyone's going to die if they go outside <laughs> yeah. of the border. Right. I know. Yeah. I just think of what, if, what would I have thought of Ecuador when I was like 19 or 20? I just would have thought, I think that it's just a strange, hot place. That's all I would have thought. I wouldn't sure, thought yeah. about, you know, right. illegal aliens or I never would have thought about crime or anything totally. like that. I just would have been completely naive to any of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I, uh, I, I was like, okay, I could bring a video camera down, but then all of a sudden this trip will be about making the, oh, a single video. And I don't really want, I didn't really want the trip to be about that. I wanted to, to truly just explore. Uh, um, and uh, I thought, okay, maybe I'll try a still camera. And that way I can take individual pictures that are standalone on their own, rather than having to focus on a, a single project. Um, and so I bought myself a uh, Canon 30D, uh, mm-hmm. which back to the, you know, that's I think one of the third or fourth iterations of their first uh, digital cameras. So back in the earlier days of uh, digital, bought myself a Canon 30D and I don't know, some Tamron mega zoom lens. Uh, I, was like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember, but it was like an all-in-one lens, you know, like a 18 to 350 or something like that. Right. And, um, and I, I traveled, uh, and I photographed and, and it was on that trip that I kind of taught myself like how a camera works. Like I, I'd, I'd use a video camera before, but with the video camera, you don't really have to understand the relationship between aperture, shutter speed, uh, right. ISO, uh, stuff like that. Especially with any camera that you would have been using at the time. It's all automatic, you know, totally. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. But with the still camera, I, um, I, you know, started to take my first steps away from green square into, you know, TV and AV mode, and then kind of my first steps into manual mode. And uh, kind of, I learned, I learned the camera on that trip, uh, and everything kind of clicked. And it was funny, I I came back from that trip, and I was like, I'm hot shit, you know, I got, I got a beautiful portfolio, I got like all this stuff. And then I went into college and immediately learned that I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I shot the whole thing on JPEG because, you know, what the heck is raw? Yeah, right. What is <laughs> what is dynamic range? Who cares? Right, no problem. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I went to school um, intending on uh, majoring in film. Uh, but uh, you were that year, inspired by that 30D. Like, yeah. I well, mean, well, so, so no, I, I uh, well, yes and no. I, I went in still being like, I'm, I'm still a film major. That's still what I want to do. Yep. Photography is cool, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, but I, I went into school and freshman year, we were we were required as film students to take photo classes. And those classes were black and white, 35 millimeter in the dark room uh, film. And uh, I it was it was in the dark room that solidified that I love photography. And it was over those uh, four years of school that I realized that I still love making movies, but photography is my passion. What was uh, it about the dark room that did it for you? Um, I think it was just having like, it's kind of just like concentrating on whatever it is. I, I could, I could think about stuff, you know, it was, it was dark. It was uh, sub, like the light was 
subdued. Everything was kind of muted. It was quiet. And I could just think about stuff. And it, it actually is a similar feeling to a long drive when you're by yourself. I do a lot of, I guess, well, before meeting my girlfriend, I did a lot of solo driving. Uh, and when you're kind of just on the road for a long time uh, or in the dark room for a long time and you're 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 doing something, you're focused on something, but it's not a super, super intensive thing, uh, you can kind of just get into this meditative mental state. Uh, and I think I really enjoyed that uh, in the dark room. But photography wise, I... I don't know. I there's the the cliche. I loved seeing the image pop to life. You know, it felt mm -hmm. like magic. That that's all true. Um, but it is crazy, uh, man. When I when I see, you know, digital is one thing, but when I see film and I think of that piece of film, that physical piece of mm -hmm. film was exposed to the light for that moment. Right. It's that is like the it's like a chemical physical reaction that happened. It is it yep. is literally that moment captured the light of that it's like it's a cool thing to witness i know it, it is it's it's hard to explain i guess that you have this relationship between like time and light and everything just coming together this is super like cliche but it is you capture that moment right but you really did it yeah. is physically that instant yep. in time and you were there for the whole thing and you were there and it's and and when you look at it and you have that negative in your hand it's almost like it's it's an infinite representation of that moment just yeah, right. just forever right there you're just looking at that light right there in your oh. hand it's it's crazy it's it's wonderful it's a wonderful thing it, it totally is and and i'm a i'm an incredibly nostalgic person uh and i think that uh film photography kind of uh made those memories a little bit more physical somehow uh, a little more tangible um uh than than the digital memories were uh I think that, I mean, I grew up in the digital age. Uh, I photographed that first trip on an SD card. You know, I um, I did make my movies on mini DV, which is tape, but still digital. Um, yeah. And I think that... Uh, you're changing the, the format. You know, you're, oh. change, you're changing the light, which is like a... Yeah. It's a non... It doesn't really... I mean, it has a frequency, but it's not... Right. It's not like broken up into ones and zeros or whatever. It's it's like a, you're totally. changing the format and it's transitioning. It's like putting a record and transferring it to a CD. It's just exactly. not the same. Yeah. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor, Petrolbox. Petrolbox is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, they carefully select items including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, and publications to be sent right to your doorstep. It's a curated selection of the latest and greatest gear in the industry. And there's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. You have the Petrobox Basic, which costs less than 20 bucks a month, and the Petrobox Premium, which gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Be sure to check them out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get six dollars off your first month right and i think that the the dark room kind of uh it helped me through through that tangibility uh i think that it helped me understand photography or, or look at photography in a different way i think that i'd grown up kind of looking at photography as um a documentation of something and it, it very much is that but uh I think school and the darkroom specifically uh, kind of helped me 
think about photography as more of an art form, uh, as, uh, you know, something that's fine art and something that's serious and uh, can be taken seriously and, uh, something that can be interpreted in all sorts of different ways. Maybe it's a documentation for, for one person, but maybe it's, uh, maybe it's absolutely not a documentation or maybe it's a documentation of something that never happened, or maybe it's, you know, it, it can really truly be whatever you want it to be. And the, the dark room really gives you that flexibility and creativity. Uh, and, um, that was cool. That was just a, a really awesome experience. And it's funny, I I, uh, I I think about the darkroom all the time. And I lived in that darkroom for the majority of uh, school, but I have not stepped into a darkroom since leaving school. Same. Pri- primarily because I've been living out of a vehicle almost <laughs> that entire time. <laughs> uh, but now that I'm living in, in L.A., uh, it is more and more something that I'm pushing for in terms of, I mean, you got to find the right living space, you know, uh, yep. someone that has a garage or a room that you can convert or whatever. And um, this isn't New York, you know, we're, we we have more space here than, than New York, but still, there's not a ton of space. And the space that you do get here, you got to pay for. It's expensive. Yep. Uh, and so... Um, I'm learning to navigate all that stuff, but I'm really looking forward to when I can get back in the dark room and kind of reinterpret all of these images that I've been uh, making over the last decade since school uh, on film uh, in the dark room. So I want, I want to definitely talk about the adventure that you're going to take, but I want to, yeah. you know, talk about how you've learned, you know, how to work on cars and, and use sure. that as your tool to, to yeah. explore around. So you, you, uh, you know, when you worked in, you, so you went to school in Montana and worked as, as a valet and after school and worked in a restaurant, you weren't really using the skills that you exactly. had learned. Right. And exactly. so how did you, you know, decide that you were just going to go on a journey? And so and- I was working, uh, I was working valet, uh, at, um, a ski resort in Montana, in big sky, Montana. And I was parking cars and I was like, this is great, but I am not really, I'm not really flexing these muscles that I just, uh, you know, acquired in school, these artistic skills, you know, all these things that I just worked so hard to learn. I'm not really doing anything with them. And that didn't feel good. So I was like, okay, uh, what would I want to do? I want to go back down South America. I feel like, I feel like Latin America is anywhere, anywhere that you are a foreigner. Uh, when you go there for the first time, you are really kind of on the surface, right? You have to uh, you have to figure out the language, you have to figure out the cultural customs, you got to figure out what you can and can't do, all that stuff. Uh, and that stuff is great and a lot of fun, uh, but can be really distracting. Uh, and I feel like with Latin America, every time I've gone back, I've kind of just been able to uh, maybe jump in a little bit further each time because I don't have to worry about that stuff as much because I've already figured it out. And so I'm able to uh, go places, see things, and uh, maybe capture a different side of these places uh, then I would if I were coming there for the first time. So I was like, okay, I want to go back down to Latin America. Uh, every time I'd been there, I'd, I'd, I'd been doing it, you know, uh, sorry, not every time, but most of the times that I'd gone on my own at this point, uh, I had been going like with a backpack full of clothes, staying in hostels and traveling by bus. Yeah. Great. A lot of fun. Uh, generally surrounded by other uh, travelers, um, which is cool. Uh, staying in hostels with sometimes even the same people over and over again, but I would see through the bus window, people riding bikes uh, down the Pan American highway or people in their own vehicles uh, going down the Pan American highway and really being able to travel on their own schedule, not the bus's schedule, being able to stop in all the cool little 
weird towns that you pass through rather than just seeing them pass by on the other side of the glass while you're on the bus. And I really wanted to have an adventure that was big like that. And I think that uh, watching the the movie 180 Degrees South, uh, um, if you're familiar with that one at all, was a big inspiration for me. And I was like, you know, I want to do a trip like this at some point in my life. And it was when I was doing ballet that I was like, okay, time to do it. Uh, so yeah, we had, I, uh, we had Eric Repke and Stein Retzleff on the podcast to talk about oh, their, no to the, about their oh. attempt to, to do this, the same thing. Oh, sweet. That's awesome. Cool guys. Uh, yeah. Uh, a hu- huge inspiration. And so, so I was like, okay, uh, I want to shoot film. Um, and I know that, uh, this has actually changed, which is really cool. There, there is a film community down in Latin America now. Uh, but at, at that time, 10 years ago, there really wasn't. Uh, it was kind of everything had switched over to digital. Um, there were some places that you could get some stuff developed, but it was using, you know, machines that had chemistry in them that were, you know, 30 years old or whatever. And uh, it never came out. And so I was like, okay, I want to shoot film. Um, and if I'm going to shoot film, then I'm probably going to have to be able to process it and scan it down there. Uh, and I'm gonna have to bring a whole bunch of it down. So I should probably drive. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, I don't know much about cars. And I asked my valet friends who, you know, were car heads or car guys, uh, gearheads. And I was like, okay, what would you guys, what would you guys drive down to South America? If you were going to drive down to South America and they were like, you know, get a, get a new forerunner, get a Tacoma or get something know. super expensive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> I was like, okay, that sounds cool. Um, On a valet budget, totally not possible. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then one of them was like, get a get a van again, get a Westphalia. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. So I looked it up, and I was like, oh wow, those are awesome. And so um, I uh, I fell in love with with vanigans uh, and started to do research. I loved the idea of having um, a vehicle that could fit all my stuff. And I could sleep in and potentially cook in and all that. Yeah, it's a giant Kleenex um, box with wheels, basically. There's is, a lot yeah, of space yeah. in there. Red loaf, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I knew that I didn't want to do this alone. Um, so I, I uh, rallied three, uh, three friends from uh, photo and film school. Uh, and um, we loaded up this van again and drove down to South America. But before doing that, I knew I, I, bought, I bought a van in Montana. And uh, I bought it in like the middle of winter. It was an air cool, an 82 air cooled uh, four cylinder van again, two liter. <laughs> it's like the slowest and, vehicle ever made. Yeah, slowest vehicle. There was no heat. I remember driving it home from purchasing it. And like I had to wrap jackets around my legs because it was so cold in Montana. I was going like 45 miles an hour tops. I was like, okay, this thing is not going <laughs> to, the way it is right now, at least, is not going to cut you know, doing mountain passes down in the Andes. I can't um, count the amount of those Vanigans <laughs> I've passed traveling around the country in the mountains. They're, they're just they're pulled over. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I had a ton of downtime at this valet job and um, I was just glued to my phone, uh, sitting next to a bunch of dudes who were also glued to their phones playing, I don't know, uh, Candy Crush or what was it at the time? Probably Angry Birds. Angry Birds. There uh, you go. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do some YouTubing. I didn't know anything about cars. It was like this, what's happening under the hood? I don't know. It's a mystery. Uh, so how nothing did you know about cars? Nothing. Like, like I didn't understand how a combustion engine worked. I didn't understand how a transmission worked. I didn't know how everything lined up. I, I knew nothing. Uh, I knew that there was some explosions happening somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> 
so I uh, I think I, I can't remember what the YouTube channel was, um, but uh, how things work or something I can't remember. But I just I just started from the bottom and uh, learned uh, how engines worked, how transmissions worked, all, all, you know the important stuff, how the, what the difference between um, a solid front axle and IFS is, you right. know, like what, uh, what a limited slip does, what, uh, why is my drive. van again? So slow. <laughs> yeah. What, what all wheel drive is versus four wheel drive, all this stuff. And, um, and I started to realize that people were swapping engines in these vanigans. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I actually ended up selling the air cooled 82, uh, because it was rusty and, um, it's once I realized I was going with three friends, uh, we decided to not get the, so the Vangan came in two different version Westphalias. There was a full Westie and then there was the weekender. The full Westie had the, um, the kitchen, uh, and you know, so refrigerator sink, stuff like that. It had cabinetry, whereas the weekender had the pop top, but it had more, uh, it didn't have the kitchen. So it had more seating area right. in the um, cabin. So I uh, sold that and we bought a weekender and I Scrapped the uh, the um, water boxer, and I put in a Subaru. Um, I put in a God. I'm trying to even remember what it was. A 2001 um, 2.5 liter. So you did uh, this yourself? Single overhead. Yeah. Where are you doing this? Whole, actually, uh, I did it up at my. I didn't. I didn't do it completely by myself. That's a lie. I did it with my grandpa. Um, in Northern Minnesota, um, cross Lake, uh, I drove the Vanagon back with the four cylinder or sorry, with the, uh, with the water boxer and, um, bought a used, uh, I, I, I think I got like a, um, a kit, you know, there's, there's so many people are doing these engine conversions that there's a number of companies out there that sell, uh, you know, like engine mount and uh, flywheel adapters, stuff, you know, engine, sorry, uh, like harnesses, all, all the stuff that you would need to do this. And so I was kind of like, this seems pretty plug and play, honestly. Like, I don't know stuff. I don't really know anything about this, but it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem so far out of my reach that I could never do it. Um, so it was, it was, it was a great opportunity for uh, me and my grandpa to do some chilling, uh, went up to his spot for like a month and, uh, we put this engine in and, uh, this was, sorry, with, with, a, a, a the, the weekender that I'd purchased yeah. an 85, um, in much nicer shape. Uh, um, just, you know, everything, everything about it was better. Um, it had heat, which was, you know, that's a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no ac but uh that's fine um and we put this in and uh it completely transformed the vehicle it was you know it it, it was fast it were fast for van again uh, and um then we yeah we we loaded it up we we, we got some help there's a a uh, an awesome company uh go westy who specializes in um keeping these vehicles on the road uh they whether it's creating uh replacement parts you know 3d printing stuff or having manufactured whatever or um like finding uh containers in germany that are full of old original spares and shipping them over and selling them there they have this this team of people just dedicated to making these vehicles work and they they uh, they put a ton of uh money and parts into helping us get a vehicle that would I don't think Vanagans will ever be synonymous. The word Vanagan will never be synonymous with reliable. But they helped <laughs> us. Uh, they helped us ensure that the vehicle was going to at least uh, be as reliable as it could be. Yeah. Um, sure, pretend so, to be reliable. 
Exactly. Uh, so we kind of, you know, we put some Fox shocks on it, lifted it up a little bit, uh, put some cool, like, you know, bumpers on it, aluminum bumpers with swing away, or sorry, steel bumpers with swing aways and uh, jerry cans on the back. And, uh, you know, we, we tried to, to make it uh, as uh, capable. So as you're basically possible. a gearhead at this point. Did, <laughs> did you enjoy this process of, oh, absolutely. Uh, of like yeah. putting the motor in? And uh, did you have like some totally. sort of, like almost obviously the experience with your grandpa was great, but did you have any like was there a meditative quality to working on the car that you experienced totally, that was similar 100%. to the dark room? It's it's very cool to um to you know, there's a problem, you diagnose it, you figure out what's what you know, you 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 go through the, the paces, what what could it be, you isolate it, uh, and then you fix it. And then it works. And then not only does it work, but but it working is something that is pertinent to you continuing your trip. That that feeling of accomplishment uh, is, I don't know, it's it's, it's very cool um, uh, and it's really rewarding. Um, I feel like that that experience is being removed not only from cars but from life in general. Sure. Of yeah, of, of everything, everything is like we live in a throwaway culture. It's now. maintenance. Everything's maintenance free, which yeah. generally means when it breaks, you break, throw it away. It. Yeah, it's, it's like again. there's no. When I grew up, my grandpa fixed everything. Yeah. He grew up on a pig farm with uh, with no electricity. So mm-hmm. he, he like if if you needed something, you you figured it out, right. and you just you figured it out or you fixed it. And there's a lot of times where I would just be like, Grandpa, let's just go to the hardware store and fucking buy a new one. And like, <laughs> no, we, we figure this out and he'd like braze something together. I was what was I doing? He he wanted to. He was working on his truck. And he had an old Ford Ranger and that needed a new core support put on it because it was rusty. Sure. And I'm like, okay, this is great. And I'm like, he's like, ah, oh, we need a let I'm like, let's just weld this together. He's like, oh no, it was spot welded from the factory. I'm like, well, we don't have a spot welder. He's like, well, let's make one. So he gets <laughs> yeah, this like right. microwave that he had like shoved in the corner, takes this microwave apart, takes the transformers out of the microwave, wraps a bunch of wires around no this transformer stuff and like and got like a, a pliers oh. and put like copper leads at the end of these pliers and made a spot welder. Like Pretty just cool. fuck it. Like That's it, awesome. when we could have probably just gone to the store and bought a thing, yeah. you know, right. or whatever. And I get caught up in that too. Well, but, that, that know-how is important, especially when you are kind of out in the bush. You oh know? yeah. Uh, you can't just hit up AutoZone or, you know, O'Reilly's and have a replacement in, you know, a few hours or the next day. Uh, yeah, that, you had dropped that, that van off somewhere. Issue. That was an issue we ran into in South America, and partially why I ended up eventually moving away from uh, Volkswagen Vanagons and into Land Cruisers was because I still have not given up the idea of. Uh, here's a little spoiler to the story. I have not that that trip did not make it through all of South America, and that van, <laughs> as lovely as it was, did not make it through all of South America, and I have not given up the uh, the plan to to do all of South America, but I have given up the idea of doing it in Vanagon's because when things break and you can't fix it, uh, there are no parts down there. So even if it's a little thing, a little sensor or whatever, uh, if, if it breaks, you know, all of a sudden I'm waiting a month to have it shipped from the U S to clear customs, to do all this stuff. And, um, land cruisers, you know, they sell those down there. So parts are available. Uh, and so completely different story. Right. But anyway, there's only a certain amount of things you can MacGyver to make works. At some point exactly. you just need but the part. If you're if you're out in the middle of nowhere, uh you gotta you gotta know how to fix stuff or or um how to at least make it 
get you somewhere where you can have it fixed. And if, and as if you, and if you built it yourself, you know how it works and you can go, you can make an assumption about what broke, what went wrong. I I can't imagine paying someone to build a Vanagon and then driving it to South America. Oh my my God. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Totally. Well, I mean, really any vehicle at this point, I feel like, you know, it's the, the more, the more hands on you have in the process, the more you know about it. And when something goes wrong, the, the closer you are to understanding at least where to start uh, right. looking at. And we, uh, so we spent six months driving from uh, Montana down through Central America uh, to Ecuador. Uh, and um, two of, uh, so w- one of the uh, friends was my girlfriend at the time. And then two of the other friends we're only planning on doing six months. They were only planning on coming down to Ecuador. And then my girlfriend and I were going to go do uh, the rest of South America. And um, we spent six months going down through Central America, pretty flawless, um, pretty, you know, it was, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, actually, the hardest part of the whole thing was uh, living in a vehicle together. <laughs> for for adults in a small vehicle is uh, hard. I mean, yeah. I don't know why we expected it to be anything else, but it was Did you end up sleeping on the roof, I imagine. Um, so there's, you know, the bed up top and the bed on the bottom. Uh, so, uh, we all fit in there, which was, which was great, but, um, still tight quarters. Uh, but anyways, we, uh, ended up having our Subaru engine, uh, die on us, uh, going up one of those dreaded, uh, Andean mountain passes, um, the day we crossed into Ecuador. So right, I was actually right before crossing into Ecuador. We, we were so excited. We were, we were. We were like, we made it. This is it. And we, you know, we're <laughs> crossing the finish line. Um, our engine explodes. Uh, well, not actually, but uh, it just, it, it was a very, very uh, depressing clank, clank, clank that we heard uh, and ended up getting it towed to a small little tiny uh, shop in uh on the border a little town called the pialis border between ecuador and peru and uh they uh looked at it and they're like okay you have no oil in here you know Uh, you've just been running it dry oh Uh, no which was really frustrating because the little i knew about cars uh i at least knew that oil is important yes and then (laughs) then you then it's your fault too you know right totally but uh what we had determined was with this uh, Subaru conversion that we do- we had done, we had a uh, custom oil pan, uh, which has you know, a custom dip- dipstick, and uh, oh, oh it was reading wrong. So we were very diligently putting not enough oil into the engine. Uh, we were checking <laughs> very diligently doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> very diligently <laughs> killing our engine. Um, which was so frustrating. Uh, and of course there was no Subaru parts anywhere down there, uh, down in Chile there is, but, um, unfortunately Ecuador has a law that you can't bring used parts into their country. Um, or if you do, you have to pay an exorbitant tax, um, with their previous, uh, government that they had uh, at, at that time. Things have changed now. Um, but we couldn't get any parts. Uh, we dropped the oil pan, took a look at the, uh, at the crankshaft. They're like, okay, we need to replace your bearings, but there's no bearings here that are going to fit this. Uh, meanwhile, three out of four of us are having 
we're, we're living in mind we're living in our vehicle in this small dirty shop in this border town uh when you're traveling you generally don't want to spend a ton of time in border towns because they're i don't know they're a little bit uh a little grittier uh but we three of us were so you're having, living in the shop in the van yeah and <laughs> uh and three out of four of us are having the worst food poisoning that we have ever had to this day uh and we are just shitting our brains out and puking our brains out all day and all night so it was a very low point uh i remember just being wrapped around this mechanic mechanics toilet uh just feeling so down uh long story short we uh we weren't able to find any bearings so what the mechanic's solution was was to cut up a bunch of beer cans and sandwich them together uh to ultimately create the the length and width bearings that we needed. Uh, and he was like, okay, this is not a permanent solution by any <laughs> means, <laughs> but it's the first I've you, heard of this tactic. <laughs> it'll get you to Ecuador. Um, and again, I have, I have friends in Ecuador. I, uh, it was kind of a, uh, a midpoint for me and my girlfriend at the time and kind of an end destination for our other two. So, um, we were really looking forward to just getting to Ecuador. Somehow it seemed like if we could at least just get to Ecuador, things would be okay. Um, and so after I think five days in that shop, we uh, put everything back together, started it up. It ran uh, miraculously. And uh, we drove the extra few miles to the border and it died again. Uh -huh. uh, and Ecuador being Ecuador with their used parts, Law also does not allow uh, broken vehicles that don't run to enter the vehicle to enter the country. Oh. So <laughs> we had to uh, hire a tow truck um, and have. Luckily, the the border uh, is on a, a a downhill going into Ecuador. Um, so we pushed the we pushed our vehicle uh, off the uh, tow truck to the top of this hill and. Um, <laughs> Pushed it down the hill to roll over the, uh, you know, border, wave at them so they know that the vehicle's running uh, and park it. Uh, and then had the tow truck meet us on the other side of the border um, to, <laughs> to load it back up. But we had to, you know, like as we waved and went by, they, they need the vehicle to be running. So we had to fire it up. We had, we had to, I remember jump starting it. Uh, and it was, uh, it was then that the block cracked Ooh. Um, but it uh it, it got us into ecuador uh, i'm not sure if starting it was a smart idea or not we, we needed to in order to get into the country oh, well, what, but, was, what were you gonna uh, do tow it back to the guy's shop and put more beer cans yeah. in but they they begrudgingly let us into the country with our uh quote working unquote vehicle uh and we loaded it onto the uh, tow truck and I remember that that uh, that ride. We were riding in our vehicle on the bed of this tow truck, going down these windy, windy roads. I think it was a four-hour trip to Quito, where I had a friend who, since living or since meeting him years and years ago, has uh, started a mechanic shop. So that was very convenient. Um, and uh, my friends went home, and me and my girlfriend lived uh, in my buddy's mechanic shop for five months while we shipped a uh, replacement short block uh, down from the States, uh, which was a whole thing. It came and it was the wrong short block. It took five <laughs> months. 
oh, no. five months and all of our money to get that thing down. Uh, it was the right block. It's just the piston set was uh, was wrong. So the pistons uh, didn't quite fit. They were hitting the heads that we had. Uh, and uh, the two heads because, you know, Subaru has, has you know, uh, yep. flat four. Um, so we had to then uh, get a whole other piston set sent down and then bust open the short block and, you know, really really rebuild the whole thing down in the shop in Ecuador. And it was then that I learned about engines firsthand, no yeah. longer YouTube. Uh, and I mean, doing an engine conversion, sure. You're learning about an engine, but you're not taking that thing apart. You yeah. know, you're just, you're just throwing it in there and plugging stuff in. Uh, but this was really tearing it apart down to, I mean, I don't think we could have torn it apart anymore, uh, and piecing it together and, um, and, you know, uh, I will say uh, I sold that van after coming back to the United States. And to my knowledge, its owner is still running it with that engine that we put together down in Ecuador, which I think is awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. And so then you learned your lesson about these Volkswagen things and never. I learned my lesson. Well, no, unfortunately. I yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I was broke. Um, we uh we're still intending on traveling the rest of south america with this vehicle that we just uh, uh resurrected uh, but we had no money and so we were kind of just looking for we were doing like we were looking for remote work what that we could do in the states because work here pays so much more than anything that we could find down there and it would allow us to continue to travel uh, she did some writing and i was doing photo work uh so we would like write articles and i would photograph and sell them to like expedition portal or oh, that's cool uh, you know uh, all, all sorts of different uh, um, like adventure websites or publications. Um, that was fine, but we ended up seeing this. Uh, someone sent us a uh, Facebook posting uh, for, it was called The Best Job Ever from Backpacker Magazine. And they were looking for two people to drive around the national parks in the United States. This was leading up to the national parks 100-year anniversary, which was, I think, 2015. Um, and we kind of just applied on a whim. They, I think they required a 15 minute, or sorry, 15 second video, which is not very long. No. Uh, a 15 second video explaining, I can't even remember what, what your favorite place in the world is or something like that. And then uh, a 100 word paragraph explaining why you're the right candidates. How many times uh, did you rewrite that 100 word paragraph? We, 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 well, so we, we were pretty good at, we were making little like, uh, little ep, like YouTube videos, uh, kind of uh, uh i don't want to say vlogging because it was not really in that style and it was a little bit before vlogging was a, a big thing um but we were making we made like five little episodes that kind of uh showed our our trip and so we were pretty good at we had all this footage and we were pretty good at being in front of the camera and stuff like that so the, the video part was easy but yeah those hundred words hundred words it's not very much it's it's really uh, hard to write a little bit Totally. It's, it's much totally. easier because yeah. I've, I've I've turned in articles. I'm I'm a writer too. I've yeah. turned our articles in are like four thousand words. And I'm like, dude, you need to yeah. cut this in half. I'm like, how? Yeah. <laughs> oh, how? Well, we we uh we sent them this stuff and uh they ended up uh, hitting us up and being like, we shortlisted you guys and we're like, wow, that's crazy uh, because we could see on Facebook that it had been shared like you know ten thousand times or whatever. And it was just one of those things that like you maybe you'll apply for, but you're never gonna get. Right. Um, I remember we did a we did a Skype call. Uh, we had just crossed Skype. over to Peru. We put Ecuador in our in our rearview mirror, and we did a Skype call with uh, the backpacker team in Boulder. And they were like, "Yeah, we're we're gonna give it to you guys." 
And so we were like, wow, that's incredible. That, what was yeah, the reason? Why cool. do they do it? Why did they give it um, to you? I think that in our video, we presented ourselves as, okay, we are well-spoken. We uh, can be in front of the camera. We have a cool story. I think that they loved that. I mean, we, we were we were literally down. We, we were doing a project. The, the, the two of us and our four friends, or sorry, the four of us together, us two and our two, our two other friends, we were doing like a, uh, a little photo project uh, where we were doing photo, video and writing um, and kind of trying to, like I was saying, uh, flex those artistic muscles that we learned in school. Yep. Um, so we were putting those to use. Our, our intention for this whole trip was to come back with portfolios that would lead into other things. Um, and so we were doing this. We were doing exactly what they were looking for. Uh, and I think that everyone else who applied maybe was capable of doing that, but they weren't actually doing it. They're like, yeah, we could do this. Uh, but here we were actually doing it. So they could see the product right. that we were right. uh, creating. And uh, and they liked that. Um, and uh, they gave it to us. They When we when we went to Boulder, they told us that over 10,000 people applied, which was wow. very cool. Yeah, that, that made us feel that feels good. Uh, that feels good. Awesome. It was very validating. I think that a lot of people were like, oh, you're going on this trip. Like you're just going on a big vacation or like, um, I don't know. I think that a lot of people were skeptical, but this was like, no, this, this is, we, we did this intentionally and it's paying off, you know, and that sure. felt really good. Uh, so we did that nine month trip that at that point, uh, the, this is the nine month was, national park trip. Yeah. We, we, they, they were like, yeah, we need you back in two weeks. So we're like, <laughs> shit. Okay. So our, our, our world kind of turned upside down. Uh, we, we zipped down to Lima, Peru, put our van on a boat, bought tickets home, and we're home two weeks later. And it was crazy. I'm guessing you're spending all of your money. All, just, yeah, completely. Just every all of dime. Our, is... yes. We were already broke because we just fixed the engine. Yeah. Uh, but this job, uh, in retrospect, didn't pay very well. But for where we were financially, we were like, this is incredible. Uh, mm -hmm. So good. Oppor I mean, happen. the currency of opportunity sometimes is is valuable too. Huge, 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 huge. And it was it was really just it was the it was the first big client that either of us had. You know, Backpacker Magazine was you know a cool name, and um, they ended up getting Subaru uh, on board as a sponsor. So we drove a Subaru around, which was ironic because <laughs> we had just been. <laughs> Working on our Subaru. You're like, I'm not sure if this is the most reliable yeah. vehicle yeah. for this. How do you guys right, feel about breaks, beer cans? I sure as hell can tell you I can fix it. Yeah. <laughs> now, before we get too much further, let's take a break here and talk about our sponsor, Olberg Car Care. Olberg is your source of professional detailing compounds and supplies that is research tested and developed by professional detailers themselves. These are the guys that are actually passionate about detailing and know firsthand what makes a good product. And they truly are great products. I love it. it's a simple foolproof two-step system, easy and gives an amazing finish. And right now they're offering a whopping 20% off your order when you use the code Overcrest. The discount code is good not only on oberkcarcare.com, but also on detailedimage.com and carsupplieswarehouse.com. Please go check them out today. Uh, so we lived out of a Subaru for nine months. Uh, you know, tent camping. We, they, for, for, for branding reasons, didn't allow us to have a rooftop tent. We couldn't like tow a teardrop and, uh, our, the, it was an outback and it was just full of camping and camera gear. So we couldn't even sleep in it. So we, we tent camped for nine months, which was exhausting. Um, yeah. And I think that between the South America trip, 
all the ups and downs and then the uh, nine months of tent camping and cumulatively about two years of spending literally every day and every second together, we uh, broke up, <laughs> which was not a big surprise. Um, and uh, I, I think one of the reasons was she didn't want to keep traveling. And I did. I at that point, I had not intended to spend so much time on the road when uh, I loaded up those friends in in Montana and started driving. But at that point, I was like, wow, I really like this. I, I really love how I'm not financially bound to uh, a mortgage or to rent, you know, to a landlord. Uh, and because of that, I can get away with making less money. And um, that way I can kind of pick and choose projects that are interesting to me and focus on personal work and stuff like that. Sure. Um, and and just living on the road is invigorating. You're always somewhere new. You're, you're meeting new people. You're doing new things. Um and I wanted to keep doing that. So I took all the money that I made on that project uh, and sold the um, Vanagon that I had uh, with the engine conversion. And I bought a Synchro, a four-wheel drive Vanagon, which uh, <laughs> what was are you the doing, worst, man? worst decision I ever made. <laughs> I, I, I wanted four-wheel drive. I was like, I, like, I want to go because the, the Super Project was supposed to be a way of funding the rest of South America. It was supposed to be, okay, we're going to go home for, you know, a year and then we're going to do this, but then we're going to come back. We're going to have money and we're going to do South America. That was the plan. It was always the plan. Uh, right. And uh, I was like, okay, I have this cash now and I want four wheel drive and I want a hard top instead of a pop top. So we can be a little bit more stealth in the city or whatever. There's things I wanted to change. And also because it was just going to be the two of us, uh, which, ended up just being me. I wanted the full Westie. I wanted the kitchen in there. I didn't yep. need as much space. Uh, so I found a four wheel drive hardtop Westie, uh, and I bought it and the engine blew, uh, <laughs> 20 miles after buying it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a diesel. Um, and, uh, oh, no. the swapped it in and just, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't, I think he's a well-intentioned guy. Um, but uh, how did that phone not, call go with that guy? It was not a great engine conversion. I think he gave me some money back, uh, but not much. I think I spent like $32,000 on that truck, on that oh on that God. van, which was so much money. Still is a lot of money. Uh, so much money to me then. It was all my money. Uh, and so I was kind of invested and it broke. And I was like, shit, I got to I gotta fix this. So They call that the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, exactly. So that that started. Um, that was the beginning of me living in a number of shops. I I spent. Well, actually, no. I guess Ecuador was. Um, but I continued my tradition of living in mechanic shops in my vehicle. Uh, I think uh, I lived in four more mechanic shops. For, I'm just imagining the shop owner opening up the door, and you're like climbing out the. You're oh, climbing yeah. out the door with like coffee in your yeah. hand, like offering yeah. the guy some coffee. Hey, Bob, how's it yeah, going? Morning. Working out of a vehicle up on a lift, you know, uh, for months at a time. Um, I lived in a. Okay, so let's see. I I spent a summer in uh, southern Idaho on a uh, farm with a family and did an engine conversion there that didn't work out. And then I went to uh, Nashville. I shipped it on a. Uh, I shipped across country to Nashville to a friend who actually met in South America, a genius mechanic um, named Greg. Uh, shipped it to him. He helped me put in a uh, a brand new uh, two liter TDI 2014 Common Rail uh, Volkswagen TDI. Yeah, which there you go. Is awesome. Uh, and that's the pump a deuce, right? 
Yeah. Oh, so I had I had the pump deuce in there. This was the uh, uh, one right after the pump deuce. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, pump That's deuce. the one that blew that, up. That was the, that was the engine. Uh, no, I had the um, God, what was it? An AAZ uh, that blew uh, up. Yes. Yeah. I put, one, I, of the, put I put one of those in a caddy once. <laughs> AAZ uh, blew up, then I put a pump deuce in, and that's what didn't end up working in Idaho, and then um, went to Nashville and put the common rail in, and uh, that engine was the engine that stayed in there until I sold it, uh, and that was great, uh, but a lot of just living in mechanic shops uh, with you know mechanics and their families, essentially. So uh, what kind of Vanagon do you own now? I do not own a van. I sold that. I, I finally came out from under that rock. My friends sat me down. And we had this van intervention, and they said this is never going to work. And they were totally right. And I, um, I'm going to guess and, one of them was not James Barkman because he. One of them his, was not James Barkman. He loves his so. van. <laughs> no, J- James is James is a, an on the road buddy uh, who um, we were doing this pretty much the same thing or you know similar things in similar vehicles. Uh, uh, in this, in similar places. So we just inevitably became friends through that. And he's um, also replaced his engine a bunch of times. <laughs> he also has replaced his engine a bunch of times. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and I started looking around for alternative vehicles and some other friends of mine who are living in a synchro who also, it, you know, their synchro never worked classic. Uh, they sold theirs at a similar time and they bought a land cruiser. Um, and, uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with uh, Jessica and Jorge of Live Work Wander? Uh, they were on they were on Instagram for you know, a decent following and and really awesome YouTube channel. Um, okay. But they have removed themselves from Instagram as of lately. Uh, and um, anyways, they we we became close because uh, we actually met broken down in a shop in uh, <laughs> Seattle. Uh, they were living out of their vehicle. I was living out of my vehicle full time. We broke broke down at the shop together, became very close. Quick question. For years, we tried. Why are together. these things so expensive if they're such pieces of shit? It's, well, there's, okay, there's, there's, um, they're charming. Uh, and I do think that they are the smartest use of space. Uh, in, mm-hmm. you know, I think that there is, there's not very many other platforms where you can do quite as much in, in such a small space. Without uh, buying like sleeping. a sprinter for $100,000. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're retro, they're cool. Yep. Uh, most of the time people aren't living out of them full time. Uh, so, you know, go on a weekend trip. If something breaks, you know, you can have a part by the time you go on your next trip, you know, right. great. You break uh, down anywhere in the United States. It's not an emergency. Exactly. I've been exactly. on, I've been on like forest roads in nowhere, Idaho. And I yeah. still felt like oh, I could just walk somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, I just replaced a starter in, uh, in a 88 Toyota pickup that I just sold yesterday. Uh, two days ago, I replaced the starter and I walked to a Toyota dealership that was 10 minutes away from me here <laughs> and just did an over the counter exchange and then walked back and put it in, you know, I'm like that's awesome. That's a uh, far cry from beer Kansas bearings. That's for sure. Right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, anyway, they they got into Land Cruisers. They found this Land Cruiser and met the owners, who were a Swiss couple. Uh, it's it's an amazing vehicle. It was, it is I, it is the best vehicle I will ever own. I I can say that uh, full heartedly and confidently. It is awesome. It's a uh, a one HZ seventy eight series uh, Troopy that was cut um, behind the front two seats down to the chassis, and the previous owners built a custom. Uh, 
camper onto the back of. And it is comfortable. It is reliable. It is extremely capable. It is not fast. It's a inline six uh, naturally aspirated diesel engine. So it drives like a tractor, um, sounds like a tractor, uh, but it is reliable and I'm absolutely in love with it. So, so this I, is the one when I look at your Instagram, it's white. Yep, it's the white one. Yeah, that thing is awesome. Yeah. That is uh, actually in Peru right now. Um, and that kind of leads I, us to what you're, what, what are you up to now? So that, that thing's yep. in, you left it in Peru or did you ship it there? So I, right before the pandemic, before meeting my girlfriend, um, I was, uh, so kind I took, of gearing up did for you, did, were, at first we were like, look, do you like to travel? <laughs> <laughs> because the last girl, yeah. Yeah, she kind of ran out of yeah. gas. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, honestly, I, yes and no. Um, I, when I turned 30, I told myself, or right before I turned 30, I was like, if this synchro isn't running by the time I'm 30, I'm going to sell it. Uh, and it wasn't, uh, so I sold it. Uh, but it also was an opportunity to kind of be like, okay, this has been really fun, but what are my goals as a person and what are my goals as an artist? And uh, am I still on track for those goals? Um and I think I kind of realized that there was some other things in life that I wanted, like maybe to be in a relationship and potentially have a family sometime and maybe like start to actually do something with all of these images that I've been making. When you're on the road, you're so stimulated. You're always creating stuff. And you're really do, you don't have time to like do anything with them. Yep. Um, so the act of wanted, creation is so wonderful that sometimes you forget later that awesome. you created well, it <laughs> oh and, and yeah and then and then and then all of a sudden you're doing something else and then all of a sudden you're doing something else and i want to shoot all this stuff and so i don't know I, I kind of was into the idea of slowing down a little bit and moving out of the truck and doing less traveling so yes i was like okay this is me i'm a traveler i'm gonna keep traveling um but i'm not opposed to the idea of settling down um and so i was you know i was on the apps uh, the apps were great well, uh, by the apps, I mean like, you know, Tinder, Hinge, Bumble, dating apps. Uh, yeah. Great, great while you're on the road and single because uh, it's an awesome way to get to know a new city or, um, you know, get out of your, your vehicle a little bit. I remember going to new places and um, going on uh, a date and having a local show me around, you know, and seeing a different side of places like, I don't know, Bismarck, North Dakota. I'm I'm sorry to anybody from Bismarck, North Dakota, but it was previously my least favorite place. Uh, <laughs> and I went on a date with a girl there and we had a blast. Uh, it wasn't even romantic. It was just fine. You know, we just had fun and I got to see a different side of this town. And um, and that was a lot of fun. So I was kind of, you know, on the apps uh, for that, but also kind of just looking, you know, if, if, I, if I ran across somebody who was awesome and there was potential for something more, then I wasn't completely like, closed off to that you know and um uh i met my girlfriend in minnesota and um we kind of just hit it off and i was you know i think we were both kind of like wow this is this is cool and so we we listened to that and we were because of the pandemic i think both in positions to give that relationship the time that it that any relationship needs you know uh to potentially turn into something and, and it has which is awesome um and so now i don't live in my vehicle and I live here in LA. But anyways, before all that, I, uh, I was, uh, I got the Land Cruiser and I was like, okay, this is it. 
I am going to South America. I uh, have enough money now because I had just started doing uh, expedition cruise work, which uh, paid fairly well, especially if you don't live anywhere, don't have to pay a mortgage or rent. You know, I could save all that money. I'd been doing it for a year or two. I had money saved. I had this cool land cruiser. Everything was, you know, everything was lined up. It was going to happen. I shipped it to uh, Columbia from Galveston, Texas. Uh, I was like, I could drive it down again, but I pretty much have done that drive and I don't have unlimited time and unlimited money. So might as well save that time and resources for places I haven't traveled to. Um, Shipped it to Cartagena, did a month uh, going down uh, Colombia, which was amazing and so much fun. And I literally got to Ecuador to the exact same place that our engine blew up last time and the (laughs) trip ultimately stopped and COVID hit. COVID hit the day I got to Ecuador. Uh, And so it's just kind of like Ecuador has been this, like I've not made it past Ecuador yet. Um, So I got to Ecuador, COVID hit. Uh, and I did a two week quarantine in my truck that ended up turning into a three month quarantine living on, uh, actually the buddy whose shop, uh, fixed my engine, uh, years and years ago, the Subaru. Uh, I lived on his farm, uh, with him and his family for three months in the beginning of COVID. Where, where in Ecuador is this? This is, we, we started to live in the city, but it soon became very uh, evident that the city was not the place to be if you had any opportunity to get out of the city um, and away from people and all that uh, better. So this is, this is right outside Quito. Um, we went up into his family, had a little tiny plot of land with a little tiny uh, cottage with a wood-burning stove in it and, you know, no electricity. Uh, or They did, but uh, eventually, but at first no electricity. Um, up in the middle of nowhere kind of uh so we moved up there and i parked my vehicle next to their uh little cottage and it was pretty idyllic it was we had a little stream running through our spot we would swim in every day there was like cows running around llamas uh the kids were through uh two three and five and had never really spent very much time outside the city at all had never had time with their parents it was it was all these new amazing things mixed up with all of the terrible news that we were hearing about COVID. Ecuador got hit really, really hard, um, especially in Guayaquil, its largest city. Uh, There was, you know, bodies in the streets because uh, there was nowhere to put them. Uh, Hospitals were full, graves sites were full, uh, and so hot and humid that, you know, people's uh, deceased loved ones were starting to rot away in their apartments and houses. So, they were just lining the streets. It was horrible. It was very, it was, it was this weird um, two sides to this, to this coin, right? We were having this amazing time while we were also terrified. Um, I actually ended up photographing all that uh, and got a grant from Nat Geo to make a book, which I'm coming out with right now, which I'm super excited about. Oh man, that's Uh, awesome. When does that come out? uh, I'm like designing the cover right now and going to print in the next week or two. So I'm hoping to have it out uh, by October. Oh, so, dude, you'll have to let me know. I'll, I will absolutely uh, let you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I'm, I'm very happy with it. I'm very proud of it. It's all, it's all black and white film that I shot and processed there in my truck uh, during that time, kind of just documenting this, uh, this experience. But anyways, um, being from Minneapolis, uh, I, I, w- I was pretty content there. It was great. It was a great situation. Um, and I was 
pretty intent on what are you eating where are you getting alcohol. food do you have to like make little trips in it was, or... it was interesting we we yeah uh we would do some trips into town um not at first because it was uh you know it was actually illegal to drive for a while in ecuador oh um, man they didn't the want country, anybody going anywhere the country really shut down yeah um and uh so we were buying food from a little tienda which was right down the street a little like a uh, hole in the wall window uh, with a little old lady selling you know a very limited amount we, I, we had eggs oreos uh <laughs> tuna uh like canned tuna and yeah corn because everyone's growing corn around there um, yeah. but not a ton of vegetables not very much meat uh and so we'd go into town every once in a while and load up on stuff but then when we'd come back we'd have to sanitize everything that we bought we would strip our clothes down and immediately take showers we would uh it was a whole it was a whole operation we were so scared um and uh i think it's easy to forget how scared you were because it seems just like so oh covid now we were disinfecting the vehicle uh i remember like wiping down amazon boxes and stuff yeah exactly that's exactly what we're doing yep yep a little tiny bit of bleach and wiping everything down yep um and uh and then uh then george floyd is murdered and uh all of a sudden i felt so far away from home Mm. you know like all of a sudden minneapolis was on fire and it was literally you know like uh, my parents were you know there there was you know, uh, um, military going up and down the streets. It was, it was really scary. Uh, and it was really scary to watch that from so far away and not be able to support my community, support my family, um, all of that stuff. So, uh, I jumped on at that, at that point, the, uh, commercial flights were not running. There were repatriation flights, uh, that were extremely expensive. I think they're like $5,000 and you could bring like one backpack and it couldn't weigh more than like, I don't know, six pounds or something like that. Uh, so I was like, I'm in a great spot. I'm going to wait this out. Why go home? Uh, but then as soon as that happened, I was like, shit, I got to get back. Um, luckily commercial flights opened up a week after that. So I got on the first flight out of Ecuador, uh, and came home and met my girlfriend a week later. And now I live in LA, my vehicle, uh, my vehicle stayed in Ecuador for two years. Uh, the borders with Colombia and Peru, uh, its neighboring countries, uh, were closed. So there was no way of getting my vehicle out of Ecuador. Luckily, my friend was extremely gracious and uh, watched after my vehicle. His shop is a Land Cruiser-specific mechanic shop, uh, which is good and bad. Um, good <laughs> because if anything were to break, he would fix it and do it right. Uh, bad because he loves land cruisers and I am absolutely positive. He was whipping and robbing that thing around the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was awesome. He watched after it, uh, for yeah, two years. Um, and, uh, I borders just finally opened up, uh, and Ecuador was like, okay, you got to get your vehicle out of here. It's been here too long. So I flew down a few months ago and I drove it down to Peru and that was great. That kind of felt like, wow, here I go. I'm, I'm breaching into new territory. You finally uh, have left Ecuador. I finally left Ecuador, which is so bittersweet. You know, like I have this long standing history with Ecuador and having a vehicle there for those two years was awesome. I was going down all the time. Uh, I convinced my girlfriend to come down a huge Testament to Jen. Her name's Jen. Uh, 
she came down to Ecuador. She uh, had never been to South America. She had met me, I think, four months before, uh, mid-pandemic. Uh, I was like, look, I know this is stupid. We shouldn't be traveling during the pandemic, but we're going to be in the truck the whole time. We're going to be away from cities. We're going to be camping. It's just the flight. So I convinced her to come. And uh, we spent a few weeks uh, traveling around down uh, in Ecuador. It was it was just, it was just awesome having a, a an access to this country uh, and a vehicle there. Um, so it was, it was hard to leave, you know. I, I had really, especially after living there during COVID with this family, uh, I became extremely close with. Uh, had kind of built upon the memories that I'd had in this country in a way that um, I had never really been able to do since living there with my family back in 98. So well, that, if you were, you were there for long enough that that was basically home. It, yeah. Absolutely. Know? So it wasn't just, an, it's, it's just another, there's lots of homes you, you know, have throughout months, your life. Three months really isn't that long, uh, but it felt like a long time, especially long because time. we didn't know how long it was going to be. Right. Know? Not knowing how long it was going to be kind of make it feel like it was forever. Um, so uh, bittersweet, but super exciting to get it down into Peru. I, I just did a short trip, drove it down to Peru, knowing that the two of us would be coming down this, this October for six months to do a six-month trip and then finally ship the vehicle from Buenos Aires after having completed the South America trip that I've been trying to do for the last decade uh, back to the United States. So what's so, the plan while you're there? You, what kind of uh, work are you going to be doing? What are you after? Um, we've both been saving, uh, so we're not going to be doing a ton of work while we're there. Um, but I will be photographing. I'm bringing down, um, a ton of film. Uh, I still have a lot of, uh, chemistry, uh, for developing, uh, down there in the truck, but I'll bring down more, um, bringing down a large format, uh, camera. So a four by five, uh, camera, uh, film camera that I'll be shooting. It's very large and slow and, um, it's not very much a tool that you can walk up to somebody and say, hey, can I take your picture and take a picture real quick and walk away? You really have to have a conversation with this person, you know, spend 15 minutes with them as you set up and, you know, uh, do the whole thing. And um, I think through that process, there is a I mean, you have to be really intentional about what you're photographing and you have to really be it. You have to you have to know what you want and and in that time that you're setting up and stuff you create a little bit of a relationship with the person you're photographing and I yeah. think that that relationship can sometimes be the difference between a good picture and a great picture hmm. you know uh, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to exploring that um, I've never had anybody say no can I take your picture no nobody's ever said <laughs> I, I no I definitely have uh, and and one way of getting over the fear of rejection uh, I've found is to give myself a daily challenge of asking every person that I, that I have the slightest tinge of wanting to photograph, I will ask them uh, if I can take the picture until I get one rejection or sometimes two rejections. I'll say today I'm doing two rejections. I need, I need two rejections in order to be off the hook for today. And sometimes that's a relief. <laughs> you get those two right away. And you're like, great. I don't have to worry about shit today. And then sometimes you don't. And then you end up with awesome photos, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that was a, a fun little exercise to push myself to, to almost even look for those rejections because I, I was tired of photographing or whatever, you know, uh, and to try and try and bring some positivity to those. Cause it's, it's a shitty feeling when someone says no, you know, you, you want to, I usually get play. like that little smile when they smile and they look down they're like, I don't know. Okay. Sure, right, you know, right. Totally. Um, 
Yeah, super familiar with that, uh, and that's 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 great when that happens. But it's I think that when people say no, it's it's about intentions. They don't they don't really know what your intentions yeah, what are. You are. People have trust issues, and 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 they should. You know, people. There's a lot of shitty people out there, and um, uh, I think that people are skeptical, uh, and um, I think that's totally fine. But I think that when I when I get a rejection, I would always take it as a reflection of me not presenting my intentions correctly or clearly enough or whatever and i would right. take it personally um and you know that's maybe because like the who the fuck are you to a lot of right, people right. <laughs> exactly totally especially, especially in latin america i think people as in your, when you're in really touristy cities uh you're photographing people who are pretty used to being photographed mm-hmm. especially in indigenous cultures um and i think that there's uh, a good amount of animosity uh that has built up over the years of these people that who i think kind of end up feeling like um on display yeah on display you're, you're photographing their exoticism you're photographing them because they're different or because they're you know living in a developing country or whatever it is uh, and i think that that doesn't really feel good to people uh especially because it's a it's a very one-sided um interaction you're walking away with something and they have nothing they're, they're nothing uh, that was actually when we did that project uh with the van again going through south america we brought down uh a little printer so that every picture that we were able to make we we're able to print a copy out and then give it to the person we photographed which is just a small little token of you know but it, it left them with something i think a lot of these people were so used to being photographed and not really having uh, having something it's in not return, transactional whether there's at all. Any yeah. tangible uh value to it or not um you know yeah it, i think people really 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 dug that um, and again in the process of having to put it on the computer and print it out real quick uh they're sitting there and they're talking to you and you have a 15 minute conversation and you build a little relationship with somebody and then maybe you photograph them again and you get a, a different picture i think that's kind of it was through that project that i learned about giving Giving the this the the relationship the put how do I say it? giving uh th- there's a potential for a relationship there that could lead to an interesting image right. and even if it doesn't lead to an interesting image just just being able to connect with the people who are living in these places that you're traveling through is important uh, and um, I don't know so I'm I'm bringing down all sorts of stuff but I'm excited about this slow big camera. So that I'm forced to uh, uh, get to know uh, the people and the places more so than I think I do when I'm photographing um, with like a 35 mil. I'm trying to think about if I, you know, I say that nobody's ever said no, but I think when I was in, um, I was in St. Kitts, which is like a little island in the West Indies. And, you know, we, we were doing a job for, I don't think it was like Delta Airlines or something like that. And we went and photographed Uh the event, which is super boring, but when we have our time off, we can leave the all-inclusive resort, which is basically prison. It's tourist prison. So you right. leave prison. That, that, I love that. That's exactly it. Oh, yes. it's prison. Tourist prison, yes. They don't want you to leave. They're like, oh, are you sure you want to? Totally. So I, I, totally. We, we rented a scooter, and we drove around. You could just drive around the islands. very small, so you could drive around. And I remember seeing this family that was outside playing, and I was like, oh, I, I would love to take your picture if that's okay. And she was super skeptical with her and her children. Children, especially, yeah. Yeah, children. she was very, very, very concerned. And she didn't say no, but and she wanted money, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I gave her like twenty bucks, which sure. who knows how much money that is to them a lot. And sure. then, and then when I was in Cuba once, I took a picture of a guy, and he, he was, 
I, I said, can I take your picture? And he kind of like just threw his hand up in the air like, yeah, fine. You yeah. know, and he was just like this dude with, I mean, the guy was incredible looking. He had these blue eyes and he was just mm-hmm. super weathered. And he, he looks like he'd been sitting in that spot for eternity. <laughs> yeah. Like sure. you know, that was his sure. spot for all of eternity. And I, and I took his picture and I didn't have anything to give him. And I felt bad. Right. And I think that's what right. you, what you're talking about when you talk about the transactional nature of it. And yeah. what I thought would be cool. And this is before FP 1000 or whatever it is, went astronomical mm-hmm. is I yeah. shoot with a Mamiya RZ 67. That's my medium format that I, that's my fun yeah. camera. Oh, did you get a little, uh, sex adapted back? I haven't done that yet, but I do have a little Fuji instant film left in the freezer. Yeah. And if, and it's just so everybody knows, it's like fifty. It's like ten to fifteen dollars, if not twenty dollars now per crazy. picture. It's crazy. Yeah. It's instant film, and it's cool because when you peel it, it's a negative on one side, and you got the picture on the other side. So you can Focus. you can keep one for yourself. Yep. And you can give them the the picture. I thought that would be cool, but now it costs a zillion dollars. Yeah. You can't totally. do that anymore. Totally. I didn't. They make an Instax back for it. I didn't know that. There's there's a few people out there who um, have retrofitted. Uh, uh, in stacks cameras into a RZ back. Um, and you can, yeah, shoot, uh, RZ onto in stacks. The film uh, is such shit cheap. though. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it is. Um, but I don't know. It's, but what do you it's want? kind of the only option right now, you know? Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that, um, think of these, we, some we of these people will never too. have a picture of themselves ever. And that was, that was a huge thing. Like we, they never there was will. a number of people that, um, we, we were kind of like, okay, this is going to be a small thing. And to most of the people, it was a small thing. Still, they're like, oh, that's cool. Thank you. But to some people, it was like, wow, like this is the only picture they have of themselves or of their kids or of their family. Uh, and that's really sweet. We actually ended up um, photographing an uh, orphanage in Guatemala uh, that was both an orphanage and they, they have this, this issue with uh, elderly folk being abandoned because uh, families can't afford to take care of them or different situations or whatever. So it was a bunch of young kids uh, without families and a bunch of old people. And um, we got an email from, we photographed this blind lady uh, and um, you know, we gave her a picture. I don't know what she's going to do with her picture, but we got this email uh, from the organization and they were like, this lady has, you know, nothing up in her room because she's blind, but she has the picture of herself up above her bed and says that she despite not knowing what it looks like, she knows that it's there and it's the only picture she has of herself. And mm. I don't know, that's, that's cool. You know, like how, how an image can have so much weight uh, and how something can be so meaningless to one person, but so meaningful to somebody else uh, is, I mean, I think part of the reason I like to take pictures, you know? Uh, and, and that was, that was cool. That was just a really sweet, um, thing to hear and to hear that you know uh that that we were able to make some sort of small little impact we, we did not change her life by any means we did not put her into a better situation we didn't do anything like that but we made her day a little bit better uh and i think that's more than a lot of people who are photographing in these places can say um right because they really are taking pictures and that's it well taking they like they said when you they used to say taking your pictures they take your soul right, right. Yeah. And, and you get nothing in return <laughs> Right, you just right. lose your soul. Yeah. So I've been I've been trying to as as I as I keep taking from Latin America. Latin America has given me so much over the years. Uh, I've been trying to find ways of uh, you know giving back um, to try and make that less of a one sided um, transaction. Uh, yeah, that's and, that's that's know, really that, cool. 
that's different uh, as time goes on. Um, but uh, but that's it's a, it's a I think an important part of traveling anywhere in the world. You know, being conscious of um, how you can support these people who are you know supporting you, whether whether it's financially, whether it's you know having a conversation or whatever. There's there's different different levels of engagement and different levels of support and. I think that uh, it's important to to participate in in the places you are and to engage with the people and to not just stay in the in the tourist prisons, you know, in the exactly. hostels. Exactly. Hostels are fun. Prison. Hotel resorts are fun, but get out of them a little bit. Go explore. Go meet people. Go talk to people. Have a have an interaction. Oh, it's great. We 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 asked because uh, these people can't afford to just buy booze, right? They can't sure. afford it. They don't have any money. So I'm like, what do you guys drink? And in St. Kitts, it was uh, called Barry's Hammond. Hmm. And I guess okay. it's a person, but it's, it's like a singer or something. But that's what they got. They're like, oh, let's have a Barry's Hammond. And uh, these are just like just an example. If you leave the tourist person, what you can encounter is, is we're like, okay, well, let's get some of that. What is that like? He's like, it's the, they have sugar cane and they, whatever's left, the, like the, the stuff that's stuck to the vat that they make the sugar in or whatever, they scoop that out and then they ferment it and they make Barry's Hammond out of it. And it wow. tastes like cool. it tastes like a cupcake that's been on fire. <laughs> it's kind of good and awful all at the same time. And uh, it got my wife pregnant, so it works. Uh, oh, there you go. It, it works. Nice. It works great. <laughs> uh, that's great. All right, man. Well, hey, this has been a this has been an awesome conversation. I I I feel like I could talk to you about your adventures forever. And um, I want you to let me know when your book is out. I I'd, I'd love to have you maybe have you back that. on to talk about your book. And sure. I encourage everybody to follow you over on Instagram. We're going to post on our Instagram, yours, so everybody can see oh, your journey. Yeah, I'd, I'd, you want to see what Aiden's up to, you can check him out there. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, leave people with? No. I mean, we're going to be we're going to be doing it down here. Uh, we're going to be down in South America in October. So, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that would be fun. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll chat with you from on the road down there. That would be awesome. I, I hope you don't have to do any beer can bearings or anything like that yeah, that's all part of it you know it's all part of it so. dude thanks so much for hanging out with me today i really appreciate it i appreciate you thanks so much yeah take care of yourself buddy all right see ya yeah bye-bye